The Nelson Legacy Project and Talking Across the Lines are proud to present You Don't Gotta, an introductory hors d'oeuvre of a much longer conversational reflection, a radio documentary in progress about the lives and teachings of Wally and Juanita Nelson. The voices on this 10-minute teaser reminisce about the Nelsons' later years on their small homestead at Woolman Hill in Deerfield, Massachusetts. By the time I met Wally and Juanita Nelson when I was 21, April of 1986, my father had just died. I landed at a Catholic worker farm in Winchenden Springs, Massachusetts, and it was growing organic vegetables for soup kitchens and homeless shelters in Boston. I don't know how familiar you are with the Catholic worker, but they do these Friday night clarification of thought where they will invite a speaker. The Nelsons came, they had dinner with us, and then they just did their thing, which was share how they felt about right livelihood, land trusts, tax resistance, growing your own food, making your own soap. And every word that came out of each of their mouths, I just thought, these are my people. I was already primed for their message. It was like water to a thirsty person. This is what I needed to hear. So, yeah, they had a very powerful influence on me. I was certainly very much exploring the entire idea of nonviolence in those days. And I think it's important to say that their understanding of nonviolence went way beyond most other people's. So meeting Wally and Juanita, my brain was lighting up in so many different regions. Like my reptilian brain and my prefrontal cortex, I was like, bing, 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 bing. They drew so many different types of people to them, and it's really a testimony to who they were. Woolman Hill had a problem with the gun club that's down on River Road, whose land abuts Woolman Hill through the woods. At that point, the gun club was getting ready to build a long-distance shooting range. The angle that they had it at meant that they were going to be aiming in the direction of Woolman Hill. And... So myself and this other woman spent somewhere between a year and two years mediating between the gun club, Woolman Hill, and the neighbors on River Road. So we met individually with everybody who lived on Woolman Hill, and then we had monthly meetings. The meetings moved around, so we sometimes met at the gun club, and one of the times later on that we went down to the gun club... We walked in, and there on their bulletin board was a clipping of something about, you know, Farmer's Market with Wally and Juanita on it that they had clipped out and put on their bulletin board because Wally and Juanita were their neighbors and friends. Even with people who they had deeply strong, adamant objections to the activity they were doing, Wally and Juanita built those relationships. Most people understand nonviolence in terms of nonviolent resistance as a set of strategies or tactics to use against an adversary or to deploy in the face of some type of injustice. But their understanding was both broader and deeper than that. They really saw nonviolence, I'd say in the Gandhian sense, of a way of life, of looking at every aspect of your life and determining whether it was linked to violence or not. So they looked really at everything, how they related to people, how they raised their children, what they bought, what type of work they did, and analyzed violence or nonviolence. It was actually the Nelsons in large part that turned me on to farming. They practiced subsistence farming, but they were a stellar example of how to grow food with care. 
and concern for the land ecologically and sustainably on a small acreage without using tremendous amounts of machinery, depending on fossil fuels or off-farm inputs. They were very conscious of their ecological footprint. And that, to me, was revolutionary. And it was a much deeper understanding of nonviolence than any other that I encountered at that point in my life. The Nelsons really had to work to keep that little micro-farm going, as you know. So when someone would drop in, because they didn't have a telephone, of course, at their home, sometimes they would stop what they were doing and just sit and really converse with the person or people. Their understanding of nonviolence led them to pursue a life on the land, to provide their own sustenance, their own basic needs as directly as possible. They started out on this experiment to see where it would lead them. They, they had never done that before, and they never looked back. They knew that they had made the right decision. Other times they would say, hey, let's talk while we work. And it would be anything from going out and weeding the witch grass out of the onion patch to fixing the little paper labels to Juanita's handmade soap. It took a lot of work, and neither of them was very young when they started out. Juanita was in her late 40s, and I think Wally was almost 60. But again, their commitment, their integrity, their depth of analysis, I think, propelled them in that direction. And they were an example and remain an example to many, many people. Their visitors included students from Deerfield Academy, which is a very upscale, posh, private school just a couple miles from where the Nelsons lived on Keats Road on Woolman Hill. The connection was there were people who worked in the diversity office who thought, oh, there's an African-American couple who live up the hill. Let's take our kids to meet with them. Oh, they knew Martin Luther King. Perfect. Check that box off. You know, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. And the kids would fall in love with the Nelsons. There was this one kid who was from South Korea, very wealthy family. He took such a shine to Wally. And Wally really took this kid under his wing. I remember them picking blackberries together. And this kid wanted to be about six inches max away from Wally at any given time. There was something about this five-foot-two African-American man that really inspired this 16-year-old from a wealthy South Korean family. And one day, this kid, I forget his name, he missed the van. Something had happened, and he had to make up a class or something, and he missed the van. And Wally was really disappointed that the kid wasn't there that day, but he said, I'll see him next time. We are all outdoors. Then we heard this sound. Wally, I'm coming! This... Wally! Wally, I'm coming! The kid had run from Deerfield Academy because he didn't want to miss seeing Wally that week. He ran the whole way, and he showed up. He was soaked in sweat, and he said, Wally, I made it! Wally, you are waiting for me! And Wally just embraced this kid. A big bear hug. In the middle of 2002, Wally Nelson passed away at the age of 93. And the following year, I started coming on a weekly basis to work with Juanita in her garden because she was all alone at that point. And she needed help and was glad to receive it. And, well, 
she thought that I was there to help her, but in reality, I think she was helping me much more than I was helping her. Because uh, once a week when I would come out there, we'd have these wonderful conversations. We took long, leisurely lunches, <laughs> which she liked to do. And the conversations just ranged over everything. You know, politics, uh, ethics, nonviolence, of course, right livelihood, agriculture, all the things that she was interested in and that I was interested in. And we saw eye to eye on, on a lot of things. Not, not everything, perhaps, but certainly most things. That was worth more than my college education put together. I learned so much during those years. Wally had a lot of stories that he told. I don't know where his storytelling came from. Like, his father was a minister. You know, he grew up amongst people who had been slaves. The old people had been slaves. When Wally was a child, born in 1909, 50 years before that, people were slaves. And, and even in the late 19th century, people were living in pretty much slave-like conditions. So he, he got what that was about. I mean, he talked about it a lot. But I mean, in a way that, you know, there's some things that you can't appreciate until you experience them. It doesn't matter how many books you've read or how many people you've known or, you know... I didn't understand what it was like to be in jail until I was in jail. There's just something about being in the emotional context of the situation that gives you an appreciation of it that you can't get any other way. And for Wally, he understood what slavery was and what freedom was, especially what freedom was. And I think he got that from seeing how people who were slaves or living in slave conditions when he was a kid, how they acted and dealt with their lives and what they struggled with. And somewhere, somehow, he figured out how he was going to overcome that, how he was going to get to, you don't gotta. <laughs> 